0: welcome to the bill kelly podcast i'm bill kelly well is ontario on the right track to recover or do we have a long way to go and what if there is a second wave of covid and with the school year fast approaching what concerns are still at play we're going to chat with a couple of the boards from hamilton and london to find out how they're proceeding and hamilton has officially hit 1000 covid19 cases the chief medical officer of health for the city dr elizabeth richardson joins us to talk about that the bill kelly podcast starts now Today, on the Bill Kelly Show, on 900 CHML. I want to get right into it right now, because uh, the Premier is uh, going to be in the area, the Hamilton-Burlington area, all day today, in fact, and uh, in a very, very busy schedule is going to take a little bit of time for us right now, so we're pleased to welcome to the program Ontario Premier Doug Ford. Mr. Premier, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us today.
1: Well, it's great to be on, uh, Bill, and thanks so
0: much. You know, Mr. Premier, one of the things, and I don't want to necessarily classify this as a silver lining, but... Uh, when COVID hit and and it, we were in our darkest days there, when you had to shut everything down, uh, we were kind of caught flat-footed. You know, the whole country was. We didn't have enough personal protection equipment. We didn't have enough sanitizer. Uh, I have been amazed, and and the, of the number of Ontario companies that have pivoted and retooled to say, oh, "Look, at, we we're going to do that. We're going to and and filled that need for us right now." And I know you're going to see some of those companies today.
1: Yeah, it was just amazing. Uh, Bill, I'll, I'll never forget when Donald Trump uh, cut us off on the N95s. from.
0: Remember that from day, from the, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, I called out to the companies for support. 23,000 companies stepped up. And now I'm, I'm proud to say only after a few months, because of the hard work uh, the companies have done, we have millions and millions of face shields, we have done millions of... Uh, N95 masks, surgical masks, we have surgical gowns from Canada Goose, and uh, we have hand sanitizer. So it's amazing. When we pull together, we have the ingenuity, the technology, and the know-how, and we'll never have to rely on a foreign leader or a foreign country ever again. And I just want to thank all the great companies.
0: Well, there's been a great collaboration between yourselves and the federal government on this to coordinate this and, uh, frankly, to finance it to a certain extent as well, and that's that's good news. So if, in fact, there is going to be a second wave, as some of the experts are suggesting, uh, we're going to be ready for it, at least from a, a protection standpoint and from uh, all the tools that we're going to need.
1: All right, absolutely, Bill. I used, I used to, at the beginning of this uh, COVID, I'd lose sleep over these PPE, and now, now we have uh, millions and millions of PPE, not just for ourselves, but we can supply the whole country now because of the great work that uh, the true entrepreneurs of this province uh, have done. So we're, we're in good shape there. Plus, compared to where we were at the beginning, I think the whole world, the country, the health, health professionals, science, they're, they're learning more and more every single day. And we're, we're in a 100 times better shape than, than we were when this first uh, broke out.
0: I know your time is tight, but I one other question for you, if I could, Mr. Premier, before you start your touring today. Uh, the troubling news, of course, about the economy, that especially from the Canadian independent businesses that are suggesting that almost 25% of local small businesses uh, may not survive as a result of this. And I, I know that you've instituted a number of programs to try to address that. I know you're going to be at Mohawk College today for an announcement. What's, what's the government's plan to try to get those people back to work or to retrain them for other jobs that they could find?
1: Well, we're really focusing on, on training, especially in the, in the trades. We're, we're heading over to Mohawk uh, College, then we're going over to the electrical uh, union training uh, facility. We're, we're, we're short uh, thousands and thousands of tradespeople. We're putting $144 billion in the infrastructure. We're going to need more more people out there on, on all sectors. Uh, and what we have to do, uh, Bill, is, is very simple. To stir any economy, you, you have to cut the red tape and regulations to get things moving forward to uh, allow companies to come here and develop and thrive and grow and prosper and that's exactly what we're going to do before this pandemic bill I'll, I'll never forget well, when I first got elected uh, we had lost 300,000 uh, jobs here in, in Ontario in a short period in 18 months all of us, I always say all of us not the government, we create the environment uh, we don't create the jobs but the environment uh, for companies to come here uh, we all created uh, 307,000 new jobs. And I, I remember Bill calling the prime minister saying every place I went to, they needed people. I said, we need 250,000 more people to fill the jobs that we, we have. And I, I said, I don't care if they're skilled, unskilled. If they're unskilled, we'll train them. And if they're skilled, we'll, we'll find them a job. But we'll get back to that point of leading North America and job creation, economic development, like we we're leading uh, North America back in January and February.
0: Uh, look forward to the announcement later on today with you and Minister McNaughton, of course, uh, at Mohawk College. Uh, I, your staff are probably saying, come on, Mr. Premier, we've got a busy schedule, and I had a look at it today. So we'll let you go. Uh, thank you so much for the time. Let's uh, pick this conversation up a little bit later on, okay?
1: I really look forward to it. And, and Bill, you're, you're an absolute champion getting the message out there, and, and thank you for that. And I want to thank all the, all the folks out there for the great work.
0: Thank you for the kind words. Uh, we'll talk again, Premier. Ontario Premier Doug Ford, who is uh, in town. Actually, he's in Burlington right now. He'll be in Hamilton later on today for some of the announcements that uh, he was just talking about, about skilled labor. So how are we addressing this? I mean, you know, there's, there's always, there's some good news stories and that's wonderful. But I mean, we also are facing with the stark reality here that things are not going to be "Quote unquote normal" for a long time, if ever again. Uh, some suggesting it's changed forever. Small businesses are one of those people that are one of those areas that's going to be negatively impacted, and still is. I want to bring Rocco Rossi into the conversation. Rocco, of course, is the president and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Rocco, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for the time today.
2: Well, it's it's an absolute pleasure, Bill. It's not every day that I get the premier to be my warm-up act.
0: <laughs> yeah, opening act for, for Rocco Rossi. I'm sure that's the highlight of his day. But <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about this. As, as I say, there is this there's, there's no going back to normal right now. Some of these businesses are never going to open their doors again, Rocco. Uh, you know, there's employment concerns about this. I mean, I, and I know that the federal and provincial governments have tried to institute a number of programs to help. Uh, but the bottom line is, you got to get people through the door and to start purchasing again, and that doesn't seem to be happening.
2: Well, uh, look at when you compare to what's happening south of the border. First off, big shout out to all levels of government, the feds, the province, the municipalities um because the amount of collaboration the amount of iteration on policy uh really second uh, second to none and, and we've been blessed on that front but the reality is that absent a vaccine um you're not going back to normal and we may call it phase 3 but we don't know whether that means that's the third period or the third inning if uh, to use the sports <laughs> metaphor um because we don't know about a um, we don't know about a second wave, and you're absolutely right, people are still concerned, and there are uh, significant obstacles. you know we've got a report coming out uh, next week on um, the impact this crisis has had on women and women entrepreneurs because they still disproportionately bear the burden of um, of child and so until we're absolutely sure the return to school is, is working well and, and the expansion of, uh, of child care is working well and safely, uh, women are not going to be able to return um, to the economy. And that's huge because their participation rate is at the lowest level in over 30 years, uh, and that will hold back growth. There are other sectors that are more the high-touch uh, uh, sectors. And, you know, we know what they are. It's airlines, it's hotels, it's conventions, it's live concerts with large groups. And and we're not going to be seeing um, a, a return easily on that front. So the premier is absolutely right. The whole issue of, of training uh, and retraining and reskilling uh, to fill those those key jobs as we look at infrastructure, as we go through the recovery, is going to be critical. But make no mistake, those, those programs to help support the businesses is going to be critical because we've already lost thousands of businesses. Um, and businesses, particularly small businesses, aren't just about Selling stuff—they're the—they're the fabric of our communities. they are are our main streets. Their culture, their activity, their first jobs, um, and 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 so that is is critical. And not just government programs, but people. To your point, Bill, you know, uh, going through the doorway, uh, buying. Uh, dining local, uh, was so thrilled this past month with RBC and all of our Canada United partners encouraging Canadians from coast to coast to coast to buy local, dine local, celebrate local because only that way will we save local.
0: Is this dulling the entrepreneurship that we've seen, Rocco? I mean, we, we've been blessed, I think, over the last couple of years before COVID hit uh, with some great entrepreneurs and some people that just thought, you know what, I don't need to be part of that company. I'm going to start my own. I'm going to do something different. And and we saw that flourish here in Ontario. Uh, it's been put on pause like everything else has these days, too. Are, are we going to see a resurgence in that?
2: I, I think so, because entrepreneurs are special people. They They are risk takers. They are people that want to carve their own path. There's no question, uh, you know, when you put the economy into a medically induced coma for good reasons of public health, um, that it's going to cause a lot of pause. Will it change behavior long term? Will it be different relatively around uh, around the world? Because yes, I'm prepared to take on risk. uh, But boy, this kind of risk, uh, this totally uncontrollable, I don't know. So maybe I'm looking for a job at the end of it. I still think, along with the with the premier, I'm optimistic in the spirit of uh, of Ontario. I've seen it throughout the crisis, uh, companies stepping up, you know, converting capacity. Uh, whether it's it's Murphy's Law Distillery in Elmira, uh, Ontario, or uh, or or the uh, the original Bug uh, Shirt Company in Powassan. Converting from from shirts to masks. I mean, really, some incredible uh, stuff, and and that is, that gives me hope that we will come back. But let's be clear: we all have a job to continue to do, uh, and it's important not to look just to the government. That's one of the reasons why the, the Canada United was so important: is is businesses coming together to support other businesses, but also individuals. You know, We still have way too low an uptake in the download of the COVID uh, alert uh, tracking and tracing app on our phones. I, I understand some people are hesitant with respect to privacy, but my God, millions upon millions of us uh, sign up on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and put way more information, and none of those apps is going to save our lives or save other lives. So we need to get this done. It's free, it's effective, it's important, it's part of the path forward.
0: I'm glad you brought up, uh, and I'm looking forward to the report that uh, the Ontario Chamber is going to bring out about the, the impact that COVID has had on women in the workforce. We do know already, statistically, I, I know you know, Rocco, but just for the sake of our listeners, uh, women were more negatively impacted than men uh, when COVID hit, but through the shutdown, of course, uh, and even those that were still declared as essential, of course, put themselves on the front line and were more prone to the, to the COVID virus itself. Uh so that's been a double whammy for them, and now you know we're not sure what's happening with the return to the workforce and the employment in there, uh, and and there, it's it it's something that we need to address. I mean, I, I think we've mentioned this a dozen times now, but it, it's bare repeating. COVID didn't necessarily create a lot of the problems you've just described here, but it, it certainly it, it it's shone the light on them and and you know, made a bad situation worse in some situations like this. So, I, I guess if we're looking at it from that standpoint, this is an opportunity for us to right some of those wrongs.
2: 100%, and that's at the core of the, this great report that's coming out from uh, from one of our analysts, Claudia DeSanti, who's just done phenomenal uh, work on it. Lots of analysts are calling this recession the she-session um, because it has disproportionately hit, unlike prior recessions, which has typically hit men uh, more than women. This one, because of, of the way the lockdown occurred, particularly with child care in our schools, um huge huge impact uh on women and we do need to look at that and to your point there are other elements um that have been exposed uh during this crisis one of the biggest being um the incredible digital divide in this in this province those areas that have been and businesses that have been able to do more online because they have access uh to to broadband have done on average far better than those who haven't Uh, and so we simply have to correct that that is one of the big areas for infrastructure investment going forward both from the public and private sector we need to ensure that we continue to do things expanding digital main street expanding um, efforts into spreading uh, broadband availability so we can all compete uh, in the economy of the 21st century and also, so we have the facilities, you know, we talk about learning from home or reskilling from home. You can't do that on dial-up. You can't do effective, um, you know, virtual health care uh, on dial-up. So all of these things point exactly as you say, Bill, to what are the things that have been exposed and exacerbated by the crisis that we need to fix in order... Uh, to build back better, if I may uh, steal the line from Mr. Biden. (laughs) Uh,
0: Is that discussion already happening? I mean, you know, as as we start to get out of this, and as you say, Rock, I don't even know what phase three is going to look like. I know what they want it to do, but uh, when we start to finally return and maybe there is going to be a vaccine in the next six or eight months, Uh, is there a discussion happening right now, but as you mentioned, I'm working from home still, so are you, so are so many other people, uh, where corporations are going to say, you know what, we don't need everybody in the building. I mean, you know, there was always a concern if we did this, that there was going to be a drop in productivity, and I'm hearing just the opposite.
2: Uh, No question. This has opened a lot of people's eyes, but make no mistake, that interaction, while we can do a lot on Zoom and team meetings and so on, not having that, Water cooler talk, not having those impromptu moments where you're you're increasing creativity and innovation uh, by interacting with one another. Not to mention that you know, particularly for those of us who are more extroverted and get energy from having people being at home, is really hard. So uh, I think we'll have a mix. But you're absolutely right. This has really opened a lot of people's eyes to what is possible. Uh, in terms of working from uh, from home, not in all businesses. Clearly, um, you know you're not going to do construction from uh, from home, and many other uh, important um, uh, jobs and services in our economy. Uh, but this is going to have an impact, and it will then have, you know, uh, a, a trickle-on effect to other things because you know what happens to commercial real estate and office towers, and what does that look like um, going forward? And again, we're in phase three now across the, the province, but if you're in the bigger centers in the downtowns where you have office towers, and the offices may technically be allowed to open, but the logistics of getting enough people up and down elevators with social distance during the day makes that impossible at this stage. Um, so we, we've, we've still got a long way to go on many fronts, and we need to keep working together to make that happen.
0: No, I agree totally. I mean, you know, I mean, I've mean, i been doing this since the middle of March, and uh, I miss the social interaction. I'm, I'm talking to my dogs a lot more than I think I used to, but I, I'd like <laughs> to get back and see people again, too. Rocco, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for this. We'll stay in touch, and I'll look forward to that report.
2: Thanks for shining the light, and one other thing, if I, if I may, OCC.ca, because of Canada United, we now have grants of up to $5,000 for small businesses looking to help pay for PPE and other restructuring uh, costs to reopen safely, so uh, please, we've got a few more uh, spots left for small businesses listening in, uh, apply today.
0: Great advice. Thanks so much, Rocco. Rocco Rossi from the Ontario Chamber of Commerce. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We are uh, getting down to the short strokes here with the uh, new school year, just a few days away, of course, and uh, are we ready? And That's the question, and we have made decisions about where our kids are going to go and how they're going to learn over the next couple of months. We're going to get a couple of different perspectives on this from both the, the Hamilton and London uh, boards of education and, uh, and find out just what the situation is and what the status is. Uh, first of all, please welcome back to the program Craig Smith. Craig is a teacher, of course, with the Thames Valley Board of Education. He's also the uh, local president for the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. Uh, Craig, thanks for coming back. Great to have you back on the program today.
3: Thank, thank you, Bill. It's a pleasure. Nice to talk to you again.
0: Well, are you ready?
3: Oh, well, that's a very good question.
0: Um, you
3: know, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of, you mentioned short strokes. I think there's a lot of scrambling right now to to be ready. Uh, we have a lot of things that still aren't in place. So, you know, uh, the advantage we have is that the students will not be uh, starting to arrive in the classrooms until the four, the week of the 14th. Yeah. So we do have a bit of time uh, with this PD day and then next week when the teachers are back in schools to do some final organization and planning work. The big the big uh, challenge we have right now is the staffing uh, piece, uh, you know, at this mm-hmm. stage teachers usually know where they're teaching, what they're teaching and when they're teaching it. And as it stands right now, because of the creation of the six virtual schools, the full remote learning schools, as they call them in Thames Valley, um, you know that school, those need to be staffed. They need about 378 teachers for that. So we're working through that. The staffing of the virtual schools has caused uh, there to be uh, vacancies and surplus uh, situations in the. In- in-person learning schools which they call the, the normal schools that we would uh, come to know and so there's a lot of reorganization happening that way tomorrow teachers should find out confirmation of what their assignments are and hopefully that will at least start to ground us a little bit as we move forward on the program pieces for the students as we get ready to see them
0: Greg I have two or three uh, elementary schools in our neighborhood and as I've been driving around over the last couple of days I'm seeing more and more cars in the parking lots there uh, I guess they're trying to get ready for the opening themselves have you had a chance to actually scope out exactly what the classroom is going to look like physically? So that, I mean, because that's going to have an impact on how you're going to be able to teach and and how effective that can be.
3: Well, that varies from school to school, but what sure. I can say is that you know the, the the class size numbers in elementary schools are quite high. Um, you know, I would we, suggest we too know, high,
0: but okay. Uh
3: huh. Okay. Yeah, they're too high. They are too high, and 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 that's a common trait throughout. So we have you know classes of twenty eight thirty two in classrooms that are purpose built for 24 kids or 20 kids you know so we're we're literally trying to put 10 pounds of potatoes into a five pound bag and and so the, the the physical distancing piece in all of this is obviously been an ongoing concern and it simply isn't happening like it, it, it can't happen we you know we, you try to cram 30 desks into a, a into a room built for 20 uh... it's pretty tight and that's an ongoing concern so i think that's a common trait throughout uh, teachers obviously would have been in the schools uh, a tuesday wednesday and thursday of this week for professional activities which are focused on health and safety training uh... COVID protocols some curricular things and and some time for planning and setup so you know there's an awful lot going on and um... you know in those three neighborhood schools they're probably indicative of what's going on throughout the province
0: Uh, Back in the days, and I can barely remember my elementary school days, but, I mean, one of the things that was always kind of a highlight for us was uh, they'd have the fire drill. You know, we'd all have to. This was the protocol in case something goes wrong. Hopefully that's never going to happen. But there needs to be a drill about what to do with COVID, too. Has has that discussion taken place about what's going to happen? I mean, short term, I mean, if there's an outbreak and there's a number of positive cases, that's one thing that you're going to have to deal with. But the other is what happens in in the classroom itself if one of your students uh, tests positive or is starting to show symptoms. uh, Does everybody get isolated? What happens? Do you know that protocol?
3: Well, there's you know communication that's unrolling about that, but you know, uh, let me let me just start with this. So, um, you mentioned fire drills, and we have to do fire drills, tornado drills. Those those things sure. have to continue obviously in a, in a way that is social, uh, physically distanced and safe for kids. But we have a requirement under the Education Act to conduct those drills, fire drills, all of those things would continue. The idea of a COVID drill, um, I think that starts on the 14th of September and goes through as long as the school year will last. Because they, the, the students uh, will, you know, on a day-to-day basis, be reminded of things like they have to work. So in Thames Valley, um, students from kindergarten to grade twelve are required to wear masks there 's obviously a focus on uh, heightened hygiene, so the hand washing needs to be you know structured and and uh, all of those things uh, so need to be in place the, the The key piece in all of this is communication that the board uh, should be doing with parents because I think the parents themselves will need to know what they need to be doing to get their kids ready to come back if they 've chosen to send them back to Schools and classrooms that are brick-and-mortar so that's going to be an ongoing piece I think you know because kids uh, you know so many kids will be just fine with this they know how to wear their mask they'll they'll follow the rules uh, you know we'll have to maybe have some corrective conversations with with some of the students but I think the focus is on ongoing reminders of, of why we're doing this I mean it's not just for fun we're doing this because there's a very situ, a uh, very serious public health situation still Uh, in the province and certainly the schools will become a microcosm of what's going on in the province. So the drill itself will start uh, with the first bell on the 14th and continue through the rest of the school year so long as the uh,
0: COVID-19 is part of our life. Craig, how serious is the ventilation problem uh, in in some of your schools? There's some older sections, and obviously older schools in London, as there isn't just about every other city here in Ontario. Uh, I know there was an intervention filed uh, with the Unt- Registered Nurses Association, of course, uh, and the teachers' unions have also uh, expressed some concern about this and and maybe seeking legal action on this as well. Uh, is that in the back of your mind as as, as the 14th looms and you, you're thinking about getting back into the classroom?
3: yeah this is a this is a key concern you know next to the 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 cl- the size of the, the the classes that we're dealing with um one of the things that the Thames valley board has done you know we have like everywhere else uh, some newer schools uh, but we also have older schools that have been uh, left in a state of uh, sort of disrepair and 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 in need of repair uh, and that's gone over a period of years. Um, So, you know, we have stock that's old and needs replacing. What the board has done is taken a look at the ventilation systems in all of those schools and brought them up to the highest specs they can be. Uh, So if you're in a school that was built in 1965, I suppose it's cold comfort to know that the ventilation systems have been brought up to the standards that that system could attain in 1965. Newer schools, obviously, same thing those schools, you know, are air-conditioned. We have a significant majority of our schools that are not. uh, In many schools as well, uh, you know, for other reasons, safety and otherwise, they've, you know, made windows that can't open, and that's a big problem, right, to even get fresh air into the classrooms. There has been some movement on... Um, fans and 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 the like in schools and and work sites. Uh, again, there's some requirements around how those have to be placed. Uh, th- th- this is a mad scramble to try and and put a bandage on a on a on a problem that's existed for a long time. So there is some movement. Uh, the board has uh, done some work in terms of the ventilation, but the overall. Um, uh, wellness of that, of, that, of those systems, uh, they cannot be turned around on a dime. Neighbourhood school where, where I live um, has spent the better part of, um, well, they started in June and are still working on the air conditioning system at that school. And that's, you know, that's with a rush order in one school, like with a handful of schools. Try to do this system-wide. You're looking at anywhere from six months to a year to uh, upgrade and or replace a ventilation system. So that's going to be a big problem moving forward.
0: And who knows where we're going to be a year from now? Listen, you mentioned the remote learning. I wanted to touch on that because uh, we've heard a lot about concerns that parents have raised about this, especially in the uh, the, the junior grades. Uh, I'm also hearing a lot of pushback from teachers that said, "Look at this is this is different. <laughs> this is not the same as classroom learning. It's a, it's a different approach to to teaching in situations like that." And some of them were very frustrated in their attempts to try to do this over the last couple of months before the school year ended. Uh, is there assistance, is there help for teachers that want to move over to that, to, to, to be able to do this in the most efficient way so that they're comfortable and, and by extension the students would be comfortable?
3: So there's a couple of parts. So the first part is that the, the remote learning that we did between March and the end of June, uh, teachers did a remarkable job of turning on a dime and implementing a, a, um, a way of teaching at a distance that most of us had never even conceived of. Um, at the end of that, did anybody really throw up their arms and say, yeah, this is fantastic? No, I mean, it, there's no replacement for the instruction and, and, and learning, the teaching and learning that happens face to face. Recognizing that COVID-19 makes that difficult and we've had a number of parents, so we've got about 15% of our elementary students who will be in these virtual schools that will be wholly dependent on on the remote uh, teaching. It is not perfect. I think we've learned some things between March and June that will help us. Um, Clearly, what we are not going to see are kids and teachers in front of a screen for 180 minutes in kindergarten or 225 minutes uh, in the other grades. What will happen is there will be um, an array of ways that people, uh, teachers and students and teachers and parents can connect as there was in the uh, shutdown period. Um, And I think what's critical is that the teachers will be in contact uh, in many different ways with students. It's a challenge. It's not a substitute for the face-to-face learning. And if anybody thinks this is business as usual, it isn't. Um, It's really, really hard to do this at a distance. And that's not to say we're not doing the work and the kids aren't doing the work. It's just not a substitute for. Um, so, you know, if if we need to, so we will have a number of students who will be learning that way. Um, but if things go sideways with this and there are, you know, school outbreaks or system shutdowns, then we will be back to some, I would suspect, some form of remote uh, learning and teaching for whatever period of time that shutdown might be.
0: So this is a very fluid situation then, isn't it? Well, that's a nice way of putting it. Yes, it is
3: a fluid, <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm, a fluid. I'm wordsmithing here, Craig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? It is very fluid. Uh, I, you know, uh, and I think it's going to, it's going to test the limits of the system. It's going to test the limits of the administration of the system, and it certainly is is testing the limits of teachers and. And, and we know parents and students who are working in this. Um, you know, and, and I do think we're at a, f- a phase now as as we scramble to get ready, um, you know, we are working hard with our, our local board to make sure that everything is as, as tight as it can be. Uh, but recognizing that the underlying plan that the government's prov- uh, provided is full of holes. And, and real gaps, and there's some real issues there. And um, I, I guess the only way we'll know if if things will work is when we start to see, you know, kids showing back up in school. And everybody hopes for the best, uh, but clearly, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a bumpy ride for for teachers, for students, for parents. And um, I think patience is required uh, and forbearance as we move forward, because it's going to be it's going to test us as we move forward for sure.
0: Uh, there's an understatement, too. You just topped me. Uh, Craig, thanks so much for this. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll stay in touch over the next – got a little time to play with you. We'll stay in touch and probably talk again next week about how things are going. Thanks for this.
3: Terrific. Thank you so much, Bill. Always a pleasure.
0: Take care. Greg Smith, of course, teacher with the Thames Valley Board of Education and uh, the local president of the uh, Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario for the London area. What about Hamilton then? We've uh, had a lot of discussions with the Hamilton Board of Education about some of the challenges uh, that they're facing as they head towards the school year. Alex Johnstone is the uh, trustee, of course, and chair of the Hamilton Board of Education. Joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about the Hamilton situation. Alex, thanks for joining us. Glad you could be on today.
4: Good morning, Bill.
0: We were heading towards the, I was going to say, the finish line. It's really the start line, I guess, we're heading to. Uh, it's a brave new world. It's a different world. Uh, I'll ask you the same question I asked Craig. Are you guys ready?
4: Uh, Bill, this is a September like no other. Uh, what I am what I can say with confidence is that our board of trustees and our staff have done everything possible to ensure that we have the best possible startup, given the circumstances uh, you saw our board pass a $9 million uh, budget, pulling money out of our reserves to ensure smaller class sizes. So here in Hamilton, we have class sizes of 21 average for kindergarten, as well as our grades 4 to 8. We already had class size caps on grades 1, 2, 3 as, uh, as a standard across the province. Um, so we ensure we we've used that money to ensure that we're able to practice social distancing, ensure the one meter distance, um, and just to ensure that there's fewer bodies in the classroom uh, so that it's that much more manageable given that we are in the middle of a pandemic. Um, You've also seen us pass a staggered start. We know that that was hard on families um, and hard for planning. But at the end of the day, we prioritize health and safety. When we looked across the system, all the changes that were coming down from the ministry, we knew that it was extremely important that we get this reopening right. We wanted to ensure that we had, especially for our our younger kids who need time to practice learn, uh, and learn new routines, um, that we had smaller cohorted staggered start for our reopening. So that's where at the elementary level, um, it's staggered with a full return on September 16th. And for the high school level, we also, uh, we've staggered, uh, we are slowly introducing grades 9 and 10 and um, for September um, 10th and 11th, and then we have all cohorts joining and starting on September 14th. And again, that's to reduce the number of students in our hallways, to ensure that it's manageable, and to ensure that everyone is able to learn the new routines in a more orderly and safe fashion. Um, It also gives our staff more time to learn all the new protocols. We've had over 70 new protocols from the ministry with regards to an outbreak protocol, uh, to ensure that we have the time needed in order to do this right, and that's um, that's the the kind of work that we've been doing behind the scenes.
0: This is a you guys, teachers, principals, everybody, and trustees for that matter. I guess Alex are going to have to be pretty patient over the next couple of weeks because I know you as a boarder are, are aware of the protocols. I'm sure the teachers are, are being uh, versed on what's going on here too. But this is going to be brand new for the kids and for the students, and it's it's change, and change can be difficult.
4: It is. I was actually I was speaking to one of my neighbors this morning and he's going back into grade four and he was telling me how excited he was to see his friends. And I asked him, you know, how do you how do you because he's grade four, how do you feel about wearing a mask? And he says, I'm ready. I've been practicing all summer. And I thought that was interesting that this is the new world that many of our uh, families, uh, that our families are now entering into. Um, for, For my neighbor, I was talking with his grandfather and his grandfather was telling me about how they had gone to the mall to practice social distancing, and and to just become more accustomed to what the new environment will look like. I've seen teachers posting books online um, where they have purchased for their grade one and two classes uh, with regards to read aloud books on how to wear masks, what the virus is about, how to keep safe. These are all brand new discussions. Um, And certainly with our younger ones, there's going to be a lot of discussion around how do we play in a safe way? It is, I imagine that the, the first few weeks of school, the focus is going to be on mental health. It's going to be about having discussions around our our feelings and our fears around um, the pandemic. It's going to be um, lots of discussions on and learning how to have new social interactions with our friends in a way that is safe. And of course, learning all the different new um, protocols. I know our staff have uh, had uh, videos and, and invited the media into several of our schools to see the new setup and all the new visual cues for our students in order to help them to navigate this new this new reality.
0: It's going to be fascinating to see just uh, how everybody uh, reacts to this, uh, this new environment. Uh, Alex, we'll talk more about this to be sure over the next couple of days. Thanks so much for this today. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Alex Johnson, of course, chair of the board for the Hamilton Board of Education. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Hamilton has officially passed its 1,000th case of COVID-19, about half a year since public health first detected the virus in the city. Uh, as of yesterday morning, there were 1,003 cases. Joining us to talk about this is Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, who, of course, is the chief medical officer of health for the city of Hamilton. Uh, doctor, uh, it's been a while since you've been on the program. I guess that's good news because that means there's not a whole lot been going on, eh?
5: Good morning, Bill. Uh, yeah, I was just saying that to your producer as well that um, we haven't had a need to speak because of the the good work that's been done here in Hamilton around you know following those public health measures. And so our case numbers have just been sort of staying flat over the last uh, month or so, which is uh, is what we wanted to see.
0: Uh, and that's good news and we've seen that i know there are a lot of people grumbling about face masks and and social distancing and everything but by and large we seem to be complying with that and and it's obviously paying off uh but there is still an increase i know that the the long-term goal as you've told us doctor uh was to start seeing some decreases steady decreases and uh we wanted to flatten the curve first of all but uh, there were new cases as of last week uh which is troubling it's not a spike it's maybe at this point just a blip uh but is it concerning to you
5: well, you know, if we're going to, moving forward, we're going to continue to see cases of COVID nineteen. It's just a reality. We live in a world now where we're going to see these cases, and we are going to see the occasional outbreak that occurs. And what we don't want to see is going back up to the kinds of spikes we did back in April, May. You know, the top rate we had per week was eighteen uh, new cases a week uh, per hundred thousand. So that's you know a number here in uh, in Hamilton. Um, and now we're sitting down at about 2.9 for the last week of August. So that's, that's good. But we are just kind of fluctuating. We go, we have come down and then we've gone up a little bit and then we come down a little bit and we go back up a little bit. And we just don't want any one of those times where you start to see the increase to keep on going. And we know as people have gone on, you said it's been half a year since we saw our first cases. And we understand, you know, people are, are maybe well be a little tired of this. They may be tired of their masks. They may, be, Be tired of running out to buy hand sanitizer and all of those sorts of things and wanting to see friends and be able to be, you know, a little closer in those social situations. But it's so important that we stay the course. You know, we spent a number of months training before it and then we opened back up the economy and things have gone well, but it's critical, um, especially as we go back to school time that people continue to do the things that they've been doing, wearing the face mask, washing their hands, staying home if they're sick, because ultimately what will happen in the schools depends on what's happening in the rest of the community. And if numbers keep going up in the community, they'll be going up in the schools too.
0: By the way, we should also mention there have been no new deaths, of course. Uh, the number is still at 45, and that, that's tragic in and of itself. Uh, but we tended to think in the initial stages, of course, that, well, this is something that, you know, the, the people with uh, pre-existing conditions and elderly people are going to be more prone to this, and we certainly saw that reflected in the early numbers. But the report I saw, Doctor, recently says the majority of new cases now are, are from the 10- to 30-year range uh, in, in that era, that which was a cohort that we didn't think was going to be very negatively impacted, but clearly there they, they are testing positive for this and uh, I'm sure you're aware school starts really soon too. Are you concerned that this number seems to be on the rise and, and you know, we may actually be putting our kids in a rather precarious position if, they, if it continues that way?
5: Well, when we've been looking at it here, you know, we've been talking about for for some time now that that group that's sort of the 20 to 29-year-old group and being out and socializing and that was really the, the a lot of the driver in that group. And now we're seeing that, unfortunately, in that 10 to 19 year old year age group. And I can tell you, that most of those are the 15 to 19 year old group um, that are that are again they're going out, they're seeing friends, they're socializing, they, they're not um, you know keeping that physical distance when they're out. They're they're going to big numbers that are bigger than their social bubble should be of 10. Um, you know, they're they're maybe going out once they have still got a few symptoms and. You know, when we think about teenagers, absolutely, we know they tend to push the limits and and those sorts of things, but it's really important to continue to underscore with everybody and and that group in particular that these things do continue to need to be followed. And so reinforcing that with our kids, with our teens, and absolutely as we're going into the school year, to have some cases happening in that age group is is concerning because uh, of the potential then to have that come into the schools. Um, but we just we all just really need to be working on this and, and keeping to the messages and and uh encouraging it amongst our, our the teams that are amongst us.
0: By the way, I had a conversation with some folks from St. Joe's Hospital the other day, uh, offline. I just ran into some folks I knew that worked there. And and one of the, I guess, subplots of what's going on here uh, is at the treatment for COVID. I mean, we were concerned because we didn't know much about the the virus. We still don't know everything we need to know, I guess, about it at this stage. But the the, the innovative treatments that have been developed over the last six or eight months for people that are testing positive and have to be hospitalized is really remarkable, isn't it?
5: It is. It's been very good news that the uh, there's now treatment options that are available. They're working on them. They'll be refining them, seeing, you know, what else they need. But that is great news that we've got some, some treatment options now available. And then hopefully it's still going to be months off, you know, a year off. But hopefully, you know, someday we'll have a vaccine as well.
0: Well, I mean, there's steroidal use and, and blood plasma and a number of things. None of them, of course, are, are the, you know, the the, pl- plase- the placenta. They're just going to get this placebo and, and get this whole thing done. But I mean, they are treatments and they're helping people to get better, uh, and especially people that are in a rather precarious position. Some of those people with pre-existing conditions. So we're heading into a. a, a, a fuzzy stage right now because we, we've we been talking for about the last six months about the possibility of a second wave the kids going back to school we've seen this happen in the states where they started back about a month earlier than we will up here in ontario uh, do we prepare for this i mean we're doing a pretty good job as you say of following the protocols uh, is that going to is that going to mitigate the impact that a second wave might have or the spread might have in schools
5: well you know continuing to do the public health measures is is the main thing that we have at our disposal right now. Until we have, you know, something like a vaccine, um, that's the, the, the kind of action that we need to be taking together. That's what's made the difference to, to curb the spread that we've had. We do see this sort of slight increase coming up, and we know in certain areas like the states, like elsewhere, actually in Canada too, they've begun to see more of a second wave. But it is us all continuing to do those public health measures that's so critical in keeping those numbers down
0: so we're staying on this right now the the protocols are still in place uh we seem to be following everything and as you say there's a lot of positive news about possible vaccines although there's some discrepancy about exactly what's going to be happening with that uh doctor always a pleasure to have you on the program thank you so much for the time today great talking with you again today
5: thanks Phil. good to talk with you too
0: Take care. Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, of course, the Chief Medical Officer of Health for the City of Hamilton. And a little concerning that the numbers are still on the increase, especially in that younger cohort. And uh, we'll see what kind of an impact that has. Uh, we've seen some of the stories and they're, they're problematic stories, of course, about a lot of the university uh, students down in the States so where they've actually had to shut down some universities. And I know notwithstanding there's going to be a lot of virtual learning going on at McMaster and Mohawk, uh, there will still be some students moving back into the area uh, in Hamilton and in London. And uh, we'll certainly track that as it happens. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.